Usually once people start using our product, um, they can catch on fairly quickly, but when they need to onboard their entire team and build all of their processes into the system, it was a little more complicated. And that's a whole lot of work to start getting all of your jobs into the system to have not decided on a product yet. So we found that usually people aren't ready to take all those steps and build all their workflows and onboard all of their employees until they're sure that it's the product for them. Hey y'all, I'm Chase Clemens. Welcome back to the Support Ops Hangout. This is the show that helps you deliver a better support experience to your customers. Now we have some of the best and brightest in our support crew hangout, whatever we want to call them. Uh, Carolyn and Chase are out this week. Other Chase, Chase Livingston. We've got Jeff, as always, who is uh, here, right? Yeah, what am I doing wrong that I'm always <laughs> here? Do I just not have as many amazing things to do as they do? I don't I see I think what happens is my rhythm is thrown off. Like usually you're toward like it's it's Carolyn and Chase then Jeff. And now since you're first, it's just I don't have enough time to think about an intro. Right. But you're always like, yeah. you know, if we can't get a guest, it's just Jeff and the show's just definitely not worth having at that point. So it's just a different show. <laughs> It's a well, different show. I'm, I'm great. Thanks, Chase, for asking. <laughs> and then our special guest this week, Chelsea. Uh, you might have heard her on our previous, one of our previous episodes a couple of weeks ago. How are things? They're good. Apparently, I did well enough that you asked me to come back. So that's a good sign. Um, but things are, sign. yeah, things are great. Thanks for having me again. Awesome. So this week, we're continuing with our customer onboarding. Now, one of the things that we've kind of seen a trend in, or at least it feels like anecdotally since I started working at Basecamp in 2011 uh, is this like growing trend of a white glove approach around onboarding. So dedicated account managers, personalized training, basically anything you can tailor to that one customer in the hopes of convincing them to buy. So in this episode, we're going to look at how successful that white glove approach really is. Chelsea, we're going to start with you because y'all had a lot of success with it, right? We have, I say with, kind of gated breath, but um, we, so we do all of our success training post-sale um, to convince people that they should continue using our product. Um, so we started a success program about a year and a half ago, and we've done it fairly well since then. Um, and I say fairly well in the fact that we're still tweaking it and we're still kind of figuring out exactly what works perfectly. But essentially, um, we post-sale, we bring someone in and we take them through a series of different training programs to basically get them prepared to use the product correctly from the beginning so that they don't end up with broken processes down the road. And I think, isn't RecruiterBox a little unique in the fact that your trial is not very long, right? Yeah, so people have a 14-day trial, and usually customers do get on a demo with sales during that time, um, but then usually the decision maker makes the decision and then onboards the rest of their team post-sale. So is that uh, something that you decided to do with it being post-sale rather than like during, or was it something the team kind of came to an agreement on? Um, it was something that just sort of happened naturally. Usually once people start using our product, um, they can catch on fairly quickly, but when they need to onboard their entire team and build all of their processes into the system, it was a little more complicated. And that's a whole lot of work to start getting all of your jobs into the system to have not decided on a product yet. So we found that usually people aren't ready to take all those steps and build all their workflows and onboard all of their employees until they're sure that it's the product for them. So that's kind of why that's post-sale for us. 
I love it. Like, it sounds so, like, duh, obvious when you say it. But going into it, you're like, wait, why, why do it after? Right. <laughs> Jeff, with, uh, with Wistia, any kind of uh, white glove approaches going on there? So we are doing, uh, there's a small group that does some white glove onboarding for a subset of customers. And what I love about what Chelsea said was it was something that just kind of happened. Um, it made sense for their business. I think this is white glove onboarding is going to be another one of those topics that um, if you just hear about people talking about it on a podcast or you read about it and you think, oh, that's definitely the fix for us. It's probably not the fix for you. Um, it's got to be something that fits with product context, strategy, approach to the market. All that stuff has got to be lined up for, for it to be the right approach. Yeah, I think the approach that we took at Basecamp was kind of like you, what you were describing. It was the, well, this sounds like a good idea, and I think that it might have an impact. Uh, so what we did was we offered white glove, kind of a white glove approach as an A-B test during the, the trial portion. Um, so basically, we took 500 customers that signed up and assigned them a, a account rep and had that rep reach out and offer trainings or demos or anything and everything that that, that customer might have needed. And for us, we tried it a couple of different times, uh, like four or five cycles, something like that. So basically, you know, three, 4,000 different people that we tried this with, and it just never took. It never really moved the needle as far as conversion goes. Um, th- there was no uptick or or downwards tick, down tick, is that a thing? Uh, when it comes to how many people ended up buying. So it's like, we're doing all this extra stuff, but there's nothing really moving the needle. So why, why are we doing this? And that's when we kind of stepped back and, and realized a little bit of the, well, we kind of put the, heart, the, the horse before the cart. We kind of jumped in and said, we want to offer this without looking at it in that context of, is this something we should even be offering? So Jeff, I think you're right. Uh, that's one of those things where you need to look at it in context of, what your resources are, um, what you're hoping to get out of it, just like the classes that we talked about last week. I think there's, yeah, there's two approaches. um, And and maybe, Chelsea, you can talk a little bit more. Maybe you're doing kind of a combination of both. But one, you can look in advance and see what metrics do we want to move um, by having this onboarding. And the other one is you can look and see what type of uh, financial financial return can we get by offering this as part of our, like a service, right? So, um, for example, uh, you know, you're, you're looking at conversion rates, um, but Chelsea's team was not even looking at conversion rates because all this happens after conversion. They're looking at retention rates. Somebody else, I mean, from our perspective, one thing we thought about was, can we include this at a package that's priced above our normal self-service packages so that people who want to have an ongoing account relationship will just decide to pay more for it. And then is that added complexity worth it based on what we're getting out of it? So I think those are, I guess, just to sum up the two approaches, one of them is there's a metric that we're not doing that great on. And we think that this might be the answer, that like productizing it isn't necessarily the first step. Maybe we should have people who are sort of filling the gap. And then the other approach is, hey, I think we've got something of value here and our customers are saying they would pay more for it. So like as a business, we're stronger by having a white glove experience for a certain subset of customers. Yeah, and that's kind of how it started with us. We've kind of done both approaches, but it started originally that we had a 
lower tier pricing plan and a higher tier pricing plan. And we started offering onboarding to the higher tier pricing plans. And then as we've gone along, we've actually eliminated our lower tier pricing plan and only have new customers on the higher tier. Um, and now we're looking at most of our contracts are annual. Can we make sure that we get that annual renewal again at the end of the next year? Um, so obviously we've got some lead time um, moving up to that. So we're looking at other metrics because it's not really good to wait a whole year and then say, oh man, everything we were doing for the last year didn't work. Oops, we screwed that up. Um, so we are pulling other types of metrics like are they using key features of our product? Um, are they marking candidates as hired because we're an applicant tracking system? So if you're not hiring people, then you probably aren't being successful. So we're pulling those kind of metrics on these accounts every um, week to make sure that they're still marking people as hired. They're still using key features as we go on so that we can identify accounts to reach out to before we hit that year point and they're in attrition and they've already decided that before we even know about it. See, I love that. And with us, we kind of went the other approach that Jeff was talking about. So now we offer that kind of white glove onboarding and training as a, you can buy it for a hundred bucks from us. So it's one of those where it's a conscious decision that somebody says, yes, I need that for my team. So I'm going to pay a little bit more for it. It's for us that that hundred dollar price point was kind of just arbitrary. It was like, like, well, I mean, that's one month of base camp. Let's just go with that. And it's, it's more just to make sure they have skin in the game, to make sure that they actually show up for the training or, or, or whatnot. Um, I love that. Just like there's two approaches and then boom, here they are. <laughs> well, I only say that because we've made the mistake of going right down the middle of the two of those and then kind of, you know, to your story, like step back and said, what, what are we doing? Or like, what exactly are we trying to get out of this, right? You've got people on your team who are doing this day in and day out and they're kind of like, hey, like what? what value am I providing? And I think that's the other element as part of this is white glove onboarding is really time intensive. Um, some people approach it as like, you know, I'm sure Basecamp approaches it as you, you buy this service, we give you exactly 30 minutes. And at the end of the 30 minutes, a timer goes off and we say goodbye. You can't call us back later or something like that. Actually, I think I We're remember that for multiple slots, but you have to have some kind of control over the, the situation so that it doesn't turn into now we have phone support. That's that's something that we've had to be really careful about because we don't do phone support. Um, our team does email and live chat support. And we very quickly, all of a sudden, success basically became glorified phone support. Um, and we had to figure out how do we rein that in. Um, and so we basically ended up writing like a plan like that we have we give to the customer these are the calls we're going to have with you this is going to be the topic we're going to cover on each one these are the people you should invite to each of them so the right people are getting on the calls and then past that point um when we share like a link for a calendar to sign up for additional calls there's some gating to that like some questions like what are some key objectives you want to get out of this call um name up to three things that you'd like to talk about. And if those things don't seem to be a legitimate reason to getting on a call, we've started kind of pushing back. Um, but we really quickly ran into that problem of, oh my gosh, now we have phone support somehow. And that wasn't what we intended to do. And we don't have time for that. So um, it has been an interesting balance to figure out how to get that control back once we kind of leashed it out. 
I love how there's like expectations there. Like, like the customer knows exactly what they're getting to getting into upfront. They know exactly what, what's going to happen. Like a lot of that. Uh, and this is something like we've heard in our jobs to be done interviews with Basecamp customers is that the more you can kind of prep them for that rollout and the training and all that, it just lessens the work on them. They can actually get back to doing what they need to do rather than like trying to teach their team how this new thing works, which is really big. One of the things that I'm kind of interested in here is the the size needed to pull something like this off. So, um, and I want to kind of approach this from two angles. Jeff, we'll give you the first one. How big of a team do you think you need to have to start offering this? And, and B, is there going to be some level in the future where Wistia just has so many new customer signups each week that, that you're not going to be able to offer this because your team's not big enough? Um, okay. So first question, how big do you need to be? My recommendation would be, uh, it follows a bit of like a, what is that? Like a barbell curve. Um, when you're very small, I think it makes sense to do some white glove onboarding, even if you don't charge more for it, because you'll hear more feedback. You'll have a better sense of how is the experience going with the product? What questions does the customer have? that you can turn into product improvements or documentation or some sort of a static resource like a video or something like that. So I definitely recommend putting in that time upfront. And if you don't, then that's a problem if you're not interested. Then there's the other side uh, where you get large enough that um, you can invest. So for, I mean, I, I really don't have a rule of thumb there, but for us, we had three people on that team and the rest of the support team uh, was maybe, say, 15 to 20. So the ratio is like, you know, may, maybe one to six. Um, so it's pretty big. I, I would say that's pretty big. Um, and then even beyond that, we weren't even thinking about um, support team size necessarily. We were more thinking of what is the subset of customers that we want to serve with this white club onboarding? And to your question about, number of signups where it just gets unwieldy. I think that's something where you can keep pushing that subset up and up and up to the point that you're um, only uh, serving the percentage or number of customers that you think you can handle with the customer success program. Harder to actually do than what I just said, but um, I think even a company like uh, MailChimp that's like an order of magnitude larger than we are at Wistia um, and you know their signups are just I'm sure it's a very large number every month. Um, they have a group uh, that deals with highest value customers. So it, I think I guess my point is that this can take on a lot of different flavors and you can target it at many different kinds of customers and you, you sort of have to cater that to what the uh, the inflow number looks like. Chelsea, over to you. So we um, are still a pretty small team. There are four of us on support, and there is one of us doing success right now. Um, oh, one to four, not Jeff's <laughs> law of one to six. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm making that a thing, Jeff's law, <laughs> one to six. Um, so we, have, we had two people on success at one point, um, and we now have one person. And it 
it, we actually, I would say we have one and a half because we have one person who does the majority of it. And then we kind of have a little bit of backup when things just fall out of his time zone. Um, because we are, we do serve people all over the world and he's in Hawaii, which is kind of not the most central time zone. So, um, we, we have someone who kind of backs him up as well, but I think it definitely right now for our size works with just one person. Um, one really nice thing about that is we can say, Hey, today we're going to try something a little bit different. And that one person tries something different and we get to figure out how it works. Um, the hard part is having backup for him when he needs to take vacation or having capacity issues as when we have really busy months. Um, so when it's super small, it's really easy to try things out like that. Um, and I think that it was totally worth it to start it when we did. Um, we were growing pretty rapidly when we started the success program and we were offering it to a lot of people. And then sort of like Jeff said, we sort of narrowed in on who we were going to offer it to and started concentrating on those people who were signing the annual contracts, were going to be sticking around, weren't going to be churns in the next month. And how can we get them set up for success so that they want to renew that next year? Um, so we started out pretty small. Um, how big were you guys when you were trying it, Chase? So we were smaller than Jeff's one to six, I think. We were probably 10. I say that 10 or 12, which would put it right about one, one to six, somewhere in there, because there were like two of us that were, were trying to experiment with it. So yeah, Jeff's law, one, one to six, that, that kind of holds, holds true there. Um, yeah, I, I, right around there. I do think there's something to, so maybe we're a little unique in the fact that as a company, Basecamp doesn't want to get much bigger than we are right now. So when we start looking at things like, you know, this, this white glove approach, is that something we want to invest in? Then we can say, yeah, we do. We're going to, you know, offer it to this subset. And now you're in that race, like Jeff mentioned of as the number of customers that you've got, as your customer base grows, then you're moving that subset up, up and up because you don't want to grow the support team or the, or the, the base camp team quite as much. So that was a unique challenge for us that I'm sure a lot of folks won't run into just because we're, we're kind of unique in that like, yeah, we're about the size that we want to be as a company. We don't want to double or triple or anything like that. Um, so yeah, again, just rule one to six, somewhere in there feels, feels about right. I, and I guess it's just to kind of like put a cherry on top of that. I guess it's like that point where you stop worrying about, is there enough people watching emails? You know, it's the like, somebody has a little bit of extra time now. Like if one person isn't in the, uh, the email queue, then, then you're still okay. If two people's not in there, you're still okay. So I think there's something there like the, um, you might be able to get out uh, away with like one to three, one to four, whatever, if the amount of like emails coming isn't quite as, as much. I, yeah, I think that's right. Um, in our case, we also walked up the ladder of like proactive support from, uh, documentation, you know, it was probably email and then documentation and then success after that, where at first we were just trying to handle as many people as we could with the small team that we had. So static resources was like our only option. And it started with, Hey, uh, uh, have you, you signed up, but you haven't done anything. Here's an email that is our best guess at what you should do next. And then that moved to, uh, the email will link out to helpful resources that we've worked hard on, like a, a video that shows you how to do it. Or um, in the last episode, we talked about webinars and we experimented with that. Um, the white glove 
onboarding is is an experiment, um, or in my experience, is an experiment in one-to-one um, proactive support. Like, can we onboard you and your specific use case to the point that your retention is dramatically better or your value as a customer is dramatically better um, to us? And in most cases that I've seen, uh, it, it ends up evolving into uh, better proactive and one-to-many support where um, you either get so good at the onboarding that you're doing that you productize it or create a great static resource for it, like we talked about with webinars, um, or you just get so many signups because you get so successful that your business, and this is like long-term, but your business has to go more towards rather than having an individual call with you, uh, we're going to put you into uh, you know, a track that, that is specific to your needs and figure out how to communicate with you that way. So the last thing I want to touch on, uh, and this was a, a question that came in from one of our listen, listeners, Ethan, thanks. Uh, so Ethan's question was, how early on in the process should customers be receiving that offer for a personal demo or for a personal call. We kind of touched on this a little bit earlier with the waiting until the sale happens, which I think is really good. If that, um, you know, if that metric is something that, that you're watching, like Jeff mentioned. So um, Chelsea, when y'all first started offering, was it still at that conversion point? I mean, I know you mentioned there's like some demos earlier, earlier in. Yeah, so sales has always kind of taken demos of the product um, as the first contact with the customer. But when we first started the success program, we oftentimes, um, still during that 14-day trial, we're kind of starting, like sneaking in a little early and starting the success program. Um, We're pretty strict about it now that it doesn't start until a contract is signed, just because it's a lot of work to put in um, if the person isn't 100% sure on the product yet. Um, So we've kind of pushed that forward. So while they do get a product demo pre-sale, um, as far as their onboarding and their education and setting everything up in the account, it happens post-contract being signed, but that could potentially be before their 14-day trial is over um, if they decide you know, before that point that they want to go ahead and sign on. Yeah, and just, uh, Jeff, we'll let you get down on this, but just to give the flip from the Basecamp side, we're on the other end, like we talked about. Um, we're we're, we don't do any kind of uh, like sales kind of stuff. So when we offer that training, it's in the, it's literally like in the bottom of a, of a thanks for buying Basecamp email, pretty much. It's like, great, you bought Basecamp. Like we can do a one-on-one training if you want. We can do this kind of like customized stuff if you want and take a link and, and go over to that, that and sign up. Um, I will say like that was kind of a technical limitation on our part too, because our billing system just doesn't have an option to do kind of like these custom one-off payments like this. So we literally have to wait until somebody buys Basecamp and then we have their credit card on file and then we can charge them. So instead of like building out this big new hairy thing inside of our billing system, we just kind of went and said, all right, well, like at what point can we do this and not have to worry about, building some custom thing out like that. So that was a big kind of influence there. What, what can we as the support team get in and test real quick versus buying somebody's like um, programmer time and kind of setting something up custom. Jeff, you have that like, wait, what look? No, wait, what look? I'm just thinking similar (laughs) to, um, to Chelsea scenario, we have a sales team as well. And so the thing you, you, 
you have to set things up so that the customer gets a great and non-redundant experience through uh, sales and customer success, especially if you're positioning success as an added service or as something that goes with like the highest tier of plan because those are the customers that normally go through the sales process. Um, unlike Chelsea setup, or maybe it still is, um, we have our, our business is is really split down the not down the middle, but pretty close between totally self service people who do it completely themselves um, and uh, full service, meaning they they sign up to get in touch with sales. They go through that whole experience. And then they choose a. They may choose a pricing tier that involves um, account, essentially an account manager, a customer success experience. Um, I think that that has a lot of influence on where success gets involved in the in the flow because you really don't, at least in my experience, you really do want to have that single point of contact when people are getting to know your company because that that really helps you control or at least understand the narrative. Like what experience is this customer having? What messages are they getting? Are they all clear? <laughs> and they're kind of going through a, um, uh, a story, you know, a story like does, does step three come after step two, that kind of thing. And when you have multiple people on the pathway is when you end up with a customer who's like, I'm completely confused on what I'm supposed to be doing or if I have a question where I'm supposed to send it right now. And that, that just does not, you don't buy something that you just can't figure out how to interact with it. You have not seen some of my recent purchases. <laughs> yeah, I, probably ours either. I think I'm, uh, maybe on the margin, there are some crazies out there that still, for whatever reason, they'll put their credit card down. But I think by and large, you're not going to build a base camp if you uh, don't have a process that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's like you mentioned earlier, that's one of the keys where when you're a smaller team and you're just getting started and figuring out like best practices around what your customers should be doing for onboarding, you got to get in. And even if it's not paid to, to do these kind of one-to-one trainings and calls and, and whatever else to help you figure out like, all right, well, this customer that I talked to went down this path that worked really, really well. This customer over here made this zig where they should have zagged and it did not work well. So we need to advise customers not to do that. And that's the kind of stuff that you can have data and metrics out the wazoo, but it's not going to make any sense unless you're talking to customers who have been doing that. That was something I just, I spent so much time in the early days doing that, um, going through that process with people. Um, and even once we started to scale, I would spend, you know, a morning, a week trying to go through that process with people, just reaching out and saying, Hey, is there something I can just sit on the phone with you and, and go through that process with you sometime this week? Um, and without that, it, onboarding is just such a unique experience. And there's so many different variables, so many different teams that want to influence that experience that uh, it's really hard to um, get a sense of like, to your point where the zigs and the zags come from and where the broken steps are in the total process. If you don't go through it and go through it all the time. All right. Last question, Chelsea, if uh, somebody came to you and said, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this uh, white glove kind of training. Here's the reasons why I'm thinking about it. What's your one biggest piece of advice you can give? What would you say? I would definitely say um, write down what 
you want it to look like. Um, I think that's probably been the best thing that we did for our success program is writing out like the framework of you're going to take this call and this call and this call, and here's who needs to be included on them and give it to the customer and say, this is the plan that we have for you. And then obviously there's always outliers that end up tweaking that plan a little bit, but having that structure and not just saying like willy nilly, let's take phone calls. Um, and actually like having a plan made the world of difference for our team. Jeff, same question. I like willy and nilly, let's take phone calls. Um, Chelsea nailed it, of course. Um, and I think that's totally right. So the only thing I will add on to that is make sure you're clear with the person who's investing in a customer success program and also the other people who you'll be reporting to um, what your measures of success are, what you're trying to achieve, whether it's increased conversion, um, maybe it's higher uh, monthly uh, subscription price, maybe it's better retention. Know what that is, and to a point that Chelsea made way earlier, um, also know how you can get ahead of. We waited a year and nobody signed back up again. Um, whether it's at the end of the customer success process, you know, that 30 day onboarding process, maybe you're sending them a survey or having some sort of call where you're like, hey, how did all this go? And also, you know, at this point, do you think we're solving the need that you anticipated? Uh, a solving does that mean you're probably going to renew um anything you can get ahead of that will make your team um i think more confident uh and also make it the conversations around funding that team a lot easier customer success and and white glove onboarding in general in in my experience in our experience at wistia is something that is uh less tangible um, and more, therefore more difficult to invest in than, say, support folks who are, well, there's the flood of emails that are coming in that they need to answer. Or sales folks, there's the flood of emails that are coming in that they need to answer and set up calls, right? And success kind of sits right in the middle where it's not something that there's this um, obvious untapped need. It's more of a... Um, it's more of a, I don't want to say optimization because in that, in this context, it sounds negative, but it's a place where you're adding something on to make the experience even better and knowing what even better looks like is a great part of that. I don't know if I can follow that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say like the, the one thing and Chelsea touched on a little bit earlier is the uh, don't let one person get salad off in this stuff because if that one person goes on vacation or goes to a conference or is not working the week of Christmas or whatever else, right? Like whatever thing that happens to them that they're no longer in the equation for a temporary amount of time. And you've got to deal with, with like everything that they set up that that's a lot. So um, whoever is kind of working with this white glove uh, training and onboarding and things like that, make sure that, you as the team lead stay involved in it. You have another designated person that, that stays involved so they can help out. Um, just don't let one person go off in a silo and, and do some of this stuff because when that one person's not there, then things can kind of come crashing down and it's not, not pleasant. That was a happy note to end on, don't you think? It's great. It was great. So we want to know uh, what is your company doing as far as these white glove kind of uh, approaches let us know we are hello at supportops.co for the email we're at supportops on twitter chelsea subconf is two weeks 
two weeks. Are there still tickets at this point? Like if any of our listeners don't, our listeners are great. They probably already have their tickets, but if they don't, is it still like you can buy one? There are tickets. I would highly suggest that you get them soon, but there are a few left. Nice. So uh, a couple left, uh, just a little bit. So I, like I said, all of our listeners are great. They already got those tickets. But if you haven't, head over to subconf.com. Uh, no, supportdriven.com. Subconf.supportdriven.com. That's the right one. Uh, and, and you can pick up your tickets there if you haven't yet. Yeah, Chelsea, thanks again for being on the show. You nailed it, as always. Thank you. It was great to be here. That's it. Thanks again for listening. And until we see you again, have an awesome week. Bye, everybody.